This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys of Calm Choice Realty of a variety of other things in the greater Dundas area. Joins me as he does every Monday to talk a little sports. Don, thank you for coming in. Thanks, Scott. Uh, have we had a more bleak, more depressing sports weekend in recent memory? I can't think of one. Ooh, it was, uh, it was a tough weekend. Legends. Uh, I mean, I know Canada won. I know the Blue Jays won three in a row. But, but man, oh man, talk about it. It was just one after the other. It was one after the other. Been a bad year. Gordy Howe, Ali. But we see, yeah, and it, there was. And and we had this glut of them until about June, it seemed, or May. It was just, you would wake up every morning saying, who's dead now? With celebrities, David Bowie, and on and on and on. And then it seemed to taper off a bit. We took a bit of a summer holiday from all the death. Well, now apparently it's back because you have, you have Jose Fernandez, first of all, with a just a tragic story. I mean, really one of the stars of Major League Baseball, one of the rising stars. Then you get Mylon Hicks. Now, a lot of people didn't know who Mylon Hicks was. He was a player for the Calgary Stampeders who's killed in Calgary in a violent incident. And then last night it's Arnold Palmer. Not with a violent incident, thank you, but uh, still, just a bad, bad weekend. All ages of the spectrum, too, eh? 24 to 87. The 87, you you don't have to see coming, but we all know everybody isn't going to live forever, and Arnold's, by all accounts, had a pretty good run of it. And again, um, we've lost uh, clearly what uh, was once the best in the game, and uh, so that's the third time this year we've lost an athlete that at one point in her career was the best ever. Yeah, and it's no overstatement. I mean, a lot of people were talking about why does Arnold Palmer matter? Because, you know, he's an old guy now, and that's true. And he didn't play much anymore if he played at all. He swung the odd, he took the odd ceremonial tee shot at the Masters or whatever. But he really was the first massive golf celebrity. There were others, there were Bobby Jones and others, but he arrived at the time. TV was beginning to get going and the media was really taking off. And he, he was the guy who really introduced an awful lot of people to golf and became the first real cult hero in the golf world. Well, and his brand lives on as strong now as it ever has been. Uh, the first king did the same thing in Elvis. It was maybe bigger now than he was when he was alive, but... You know, I mean, he designed golf courses. Of course, he won his first ever professional golf tournament in 1955 at the Westin in Toronto. And uh, he he was the first probably professional athlete that created a brand. You know, you can talk about Michael Jordan. You can talk about Bobby Hull being a legend going WHA. And, you know, Gretzky and all Jordan, all the rest of them. But Arnold Palmer was the first brand you could sell. You could buy Arnold Palmer golf clubs. You could find Arnold Palmer golf shirts. And a lot of it was TV, uh, repetition on TV. You know, um, the World Series was always watched, but it wasn't the same team every year. And you're right, as as the introduction of TV and, you know, back then it was uh, legendary. Walk down the fairway having a cigarette, and it was a sign of the time, something you'd never see now unless you're John Daly. But again, the, the idea of the brand is a really interesting one because you did not have, back in those days, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you didn't have guys doing what they're doing now. 
Now we just assume that you're going to have a brand. If you're a player who comes along now, you're going to have a team of people who's going to try and come up with something, a shoe or a shirt or a whatever that bears your name. Back then, that just didn't, it never, like Jackie Robinson would have been, imagine if he was coming along today, how much stuff would be affiliated with him. You would have everything with, you'd be a Jackie Robinson, everything. Now. Because it was first black player. And, and yeah, and, and you had a, for the. Hard to fathom that. It is, it is. But you, it's something so unique, and, and he would have appealed as well as to white baseball fans, the market. Just in the States, yeah. even if you only built a brand to appeal to the African-American market in the States, that would be a massive brand, and you would have seen him become very, very wealthy. Now, that's what you would expect. Back then, it was just, hey, I'm a baseball player. It's very different, but he was, Arnold Palmer that way was ahead of his time. Hard to build a brand. Ricky Fowler with a straight brim on the hat and Puma and, and a lot of them struggled to try and become a brand. Um, well, a lot of them help other brands, right? So you talk about Ricky Fowler. If you, you may buy Puma because of Ricky Fowler, but are you saying, I want to buy a Ricky Fowler hat? Some people will, but it's not. He's helping other brands develop. Yeah, but uh, a Ar- lot. Arnold was the, the first pure guy. And, you know, there's been so many stories about him in the last 24 hours and how he come from a blue-collar family and golf was still a pretty elitist sport back then. Um, Not that blue-collar guys didn't play it. There weren't a lot of golf courses around in the 50s, and there's golf courses everywhere now. Um, So it's, it's, it's so much different than it was then, but he made it popular. He made it okay to play golf. And I listened to a guy have a conversation today that said he'd been in the golf business for 30 years. He'd played on a pro tour uh, and had the opportunity. He'd played Arnold Palmer golf courses. He had an opportunity to work at an Arnold Palmer golf course. He's still in the golf business now. And he said, the reality is everybody in the golf industry should give a dollar a day to Arnold Palmer. Or probably, 10% of what we make, because without him, the industry wouldn't be what it was. And that was a pretty good tribute. Well, a dollar to Palmer, a dollar to Nicholas, and a dollar to Tiger Woods. If every golf course in the world did that, it, which would probably be legit, because those three guys have driven the game of golf. Much the same way, honestly, how many basketball programs exist now because of Michael Jordan? I'm not saying gyms, I'm not saying leagues. How many summer leagues and Nike. I mean, I know Nike pays Michael Jordan handsomely, but still, you talk about guys building brands. There was an example of a brand, a, a company and an athlete who co-built each other's brand in a lot of ways. It, on a slightly smaller scale, uh, a lot of people could tip their hat to uh, Mike Weir, who after winning the Masters, yep, yep. really there was a lot of kids went and Canada went, you know what, we can make it. Yeah, like, no, you know, you're they, right. They, they, I mean, he really drove golf. I have a Mike Weir golf shirt in, in my closet. I don't know if you can still buy them, but I do have Mike Weir wine in my fridge. I know you can buy that. But here's the interesting part, and it was sort of what I was going at with, with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan helped build Nike. Nike helped build Michael Jordan. They did it together. But you have a Michael Jordan brand. You also have the Nike brand. What is our, What did Arnold Palmer sell? What did he wear? 
What was his brand? The amazing thing was he he is the brand. He yeah. is entirely. I bet most people couldn't say what kind of golf shoe Arnold Palmer wore, or what what brand of clubs he used. Arnold Palmer was entirely that brand. I would argue it's the same with Jack Nicklaus. And if it wasn't for Nike, you probably would say the same about Tiger Woods. I, I'm not sure, but I know Tiger Woods. Well, the um, Jack Nicklaus at the end of his career when he wore a hat. Just had a golden bear on it. It was his own brand because it was an industry, and and you got to know that Arnold Palmer may have been playing Titleist clubs, but they said Arnold Palmer on them. And I don't know. I was going to say I'm embarrassed to tell you, I don't know. I don't really give a damn. I, I'm not that into <laughs> Arnold Palmer golf gear, but I would bet you that one of the large manufacturers went to him and said, "We're going to open up an Arnold Palmer line because somebody was going to do it." So we may as well, if we're going to cannibalize, if our if our brand's going to get cannibalized, we may as well do it ourselves. But you're right. He was his own brand because he built it. I mean, he built hundreds and oversaw the building of hundreds of golf courses. Let me switch to Jose Fernandez for a second because I, it's a different thing. We're not talking about brand with this guy, but it was an interesting discussion that came up in my living room last night when we were watching this, my wife and and I were chatting about this, and here was a 24-year-old guy who he made some money, but he was just about to become huge. He was just about to be one of those players who would have been making $30 million a year. That That's where, I mean, he was that good that he would have been in the somewhere between 25 and $30 million a year that his salary would have been. If you're the Miami Marlins, do you do anything for his family, which now lost their meal ticket. And I hate to, I, I know that sounds very coarse to describe it like that, but I mean, it's th- that he was the guy who was going to help them establish their life. He's got a young, he had a tweet with a picture of his girlfriend or wife. I'm not sure which it was with a baby bump. He, he's got a young baby on the way. If you're the owner of the Miami Marlins, you are, I think, under no obligation legally to do anything except to pay his contract for this year. I don't even know if you're in, legally required to do that. Would you do something for his family or would you say, "Hmm, you know, we'll have an honor. We'll have a a funeral for you here. We'll do that. But thanks very much. I think as a moral obligation, if his family needs help, that it would be uh, incumbent upon the owner and the organization to see fit that she at least carries on. And, 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 and I say that from strictly a moral standpoint because not legal. Well, and not legal, and certainly um, his demise had nothing to do with the uh, Florida Marlins. And, right. And, and there'll be selfish Florida Marlin fans saying, why did he do this to us? Why was he on that boat? And how, why did he put himself? I mean, there are morons out there. You can flip on U.S. TV channels every day and You don't have to go to U.S. TV. <laughs> you don't have to go that far. But you know what I mean? They'll yes. be, be very selfish Marlin fans, and well, now what do we do? But you bring up a compassionate point, as you often do. And no, say, but if you're Jeffrey Loria, do you say, listen, you know what? He would have made $30 bucks, And you know what? We're probably still going to make several million dollars off Fernandez shirts now, to be very blunt. Yeah. Here's here's $3 million, Here's $5 million to his family that he easily would have earned as a, you know, we know you now are not going to have the lifestyle that you would have had. But, and again, some people would say, are you an idiot? They have no obligation to do that. I, I understand they have no obligation to do that. I'm just wondering if they c- should 
or even if anyone thinks that they would do that. I, I could be a bigger idiot and say if you give her $3 million and she moves back to Cuba, she lives like a queen the rest of her life. Yeah, but she's not, they're not going to go back. No, but, but you can, but, you know, again, if you were looking at a future where you could say after this year or after next year, you were going to get a $200 million contract a la David Price. Again, I mean, it's it's not the Marlins' fault what happened. It's it's a tragedy. It's a horrible accident. But don't count on two hundred million. Not you're not getting two hundred million. But I it would be very interesting to me. And I and what would be more impressive, quite honestly, is if we never found out. Yeah. Uh, because then it would be not about doing it for public glory. It would be just about doing the right thing. But I would love to think. I wouldn't count on that happening. It's pro sports. Sadly, you're absolutely right. He should say, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you uh, $300,000. Here's $2 million, and I'm going to give you $300,000 a year for the rest of your life. Wouldn't that be a nice story? And we're not going to tell anyone. Just keep it quiet. Yeah, that won't happen. But You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Canada versus Europe. Europe. The nondescript country of Europe. Which is interesting, Don. I'm wondering as you look now at the World Cup of Hockey. First of all, your thoughts on this idea of North America and Europe not having a country but having a zone. And, and I say that because it's obviously worked. Europe has done well. But to me, the idea of international hockey is always centered around the idea of cheering for a country for being patriotic. And I'm North America was a lot of fun to watch, but was anybody cheering for them really? Did anyone really care or was it just fun? Same with Europe. What do you, first of all, that's the first thing. What do you think about the idea of these amalgam teams? Well, this is a made for TV event. It's yes. made for the NHLPA and the NHL to make money on them. So they, they needed more teams and they didn't want poor teams. So they want to invite Mexico. So, <laughs> so you got to do something. And I thought they got creative and I thought it worked well for them. Now in both those incidents, um, I think what you'll find is is that be- because there's there was no chemistry at all to start with, unless a couple guys played together or they happened to play in the, in the World Juniors together. It was a, a melting pot. I think the I thought the kids would have handled it a little bit better, although you know they didn't have the experience. And I think Europe um, have come together very quickly, and they have a fair amount of t- talent. Halak and Net makes a lot of people better. Um, same as the Russian goalie, probably kept them in the game so it wasn't 9-2 on Saturday night. But I can't imagine any of them are, are hoping and praying that they get to take the jersey home because they love the crest. I mean, Crosby, who seems to be the new captain Canada, and the Canadians are playing, first of all, they're under all the heat because it's in Toronto, it's in Canada, right? So they're under the pressure. The Americans seem to find no pressure and wobbled off home with their tail between their legs, but there, there's no significance for the European team. There's going to be no parade through Europe if they win. No, I, in fact, I look at this and I think nobody really cares if Europe wins. Honestly, if anybody cares about this who's not Canadian, they just want to see Canada lose. It's not about, it's this, this tournament now is all about Canada. You either are cheering for Canada or you're cheering against Canada because they win too much. And so they are now, Canada is now in international hockey, the New York Yankees. You're yes. a Yankees fan or you hate the Yankees, period, around the world. You are a Yankees fan or you hate the Yankees, and that's Canada in hockey right now. Well, not only 
um, do I not like Europe's chances? They have to beat them twice. Yeah. And Canada has has not been behind in the total time in this tournament by three minutes. They fell behind to Russia for two minutes and change, and that's the only time they haven't been winning. Now, when you talk about who cho- who cheered for North America, it's it's a lot like saying, well, you know what? I've been a Toronto Maple Leaf fan for 45 years, and my second favorite team is X. Because you have to pick a second favorite team, or otherwise you just never get anything to cheer about. So I would suggest to you that, that uh, Team North America was Team uh, A. You're, it's like starting on the uh, uh, the B pool on, on on the ninth hole in golf, right? Well, you're not North the Amer- A team, but you but they're a pretty close B team, and everybody cheered for them when Canada wasn't playing. That's right. Team North America was the was the backup plan in case something had gone askew with Canada. If if Canada had somehow blown it, everybody was jumping over to Team North America because that was the acceptable That's cheering cool. option number two. Now, the other interesting thing, the one, well, not yet, one of the interesting things is that the goaltending matchup in this championship, think back about six years ago, the Montreal Canadiens had two goalies, Price and Halak, and they were trying to decide which one they should keep. Now they're facing each other in this championship. I still don't like Halak's chances very much. Both, by the way, Hamilton Bulldog goalies too, um, formerly. I don't like Halak's chances very much, but that's an interesting little side note that uh, if you were watching Hamilton Bulldogs hockey here at Cops Coliseum back then, you saw a lot of both of these guys. Let me tell you about Halak. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what would improve his chances. Let them switch teams. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. You don't like Halak because you don't like the team in front of him. But you put Halak on Team Canada, they still win two straight. One of the f- interesting stories about Yarrow Halak. This is an absolutely true story. Is the year that he came to Hamilton. He had been with the Montreal Canadiens. He was cut on the first day of training camp from Montreal. Nobody knew who the guy was. He was like an endless round draft pick. He was a nobody. The Bulldogs that year had training camp in Caledonia. And when he arrived in Hamilton, he was cut so early from the Canadiens that they had... Yarrow Halak was the only goalie that was here, and I think there were about six skaters that were guys that were never in a million years going to make the Canadiens. And for two days... Yarrow Halak simply faced these guys. They had like two coaches on the ice until the other cuts came. And I remember that first day I was there covering it for the spectator and I was there watching. And he was, he was, you knew that Yarrow Halak was a nobody because he had a plain white mask. Didn't even have colors on it for any team. And that first couple days or one day in particular, he probably faced 1500 shots in the practice and maybe let in 10. And I remember turning to Gary McKay, who was at the time the beat writer for the Spectrum. Who is this guy? Because he was actually great. Nobody had ever heard of him. Nobody. And I thought, oh, well, he just had a good day or the shooters were really bad. He was okay. He turned out to be be okay. And now he plays for the legendary European team in the (laughs) World Cup. But he actually got the legendary European team to the final of the World Cup. he did. He's probably their MVP. All the way from Caledonia. All the way from Caledonia to the ACC. See, I'm telling you, there's, the, there's your bit. Um, this World Cup, though, is, is this Canada's last easy ride to a gold medal? Presuming that this is. And the reason I ask is because when you look at that team, North America, the Americans in particular have an awful lot of good players coming up. And when you look 
two years or even six years down the road to the Olympics, assuming they go, or to the next World Cup. you got to believe the American team is not going to go out easily again. This is going to be a tough, tough, tough generation of American players. I, I, I look at this and I go, this is probably Canada's last really soft ride to a gold medal for a while. Probably soft ride might be might be a fair comment. I think uh, not saying they can't win it again. No, no, I understand. But uh, I think it's going to be life and death against the Americans for the next well, the Russians, ten years. The Russians better get a lot better with a lot of young guys in a hurry. I mean, their defense probably couldn't have played for the Hamilton Bulldogs. They were still in the American Hockey League, and Ovechkin either is not interested or is too old and doesn't care. And so Russia's in trouble. I concur that the U.S. has... Sweden is now old. Yeah. I concur that the Russian or the Americans have as many good, young, talented players as anybody. The problem is um, Crosby isn't an old man yet. Um, And the Canadians, you know, we had some pretty good players. I think Connor McDavid's going to make it in the league. He might need a couple more years before he (laughs) rips it up totally. No, but but it's a great example because, you know, you look at a guy like Ryan Getzlaff or Corey Perry or someone who you say, well, they're probably in their last, maybe in their last big international tournament. But, yeah, that guy's going to be replaced by Connor McDavid, which is not really a step down. No, and we've still got some young studs coming along as well. You know what I, I mean? I, you're right. You're absolutely right, but I just look at this and I think, It's not going to be easy. Your point was it won't be easy, and it this, won't be as easy. This tournament has been easy, honestly. And whether that's because the other teams don't care as much or whatever, this tournament has generally been pretty darn easy. There has not... Canada has really, for the most part, not really been pushed. I look at the next two or three or four major international tournaments. And I think Canada is going to be life and death to hold off the Americans. I really do. Cause they've got so many good young players coming up, assuming, assuming that you don't have all the veteran Americans retire, or you don't have guys get serious injuries. That happens too. You can, because the, the one thing the Americans still don't have is the depth the Canadian team has. So if Austin Matthews or Johnny Goudreau both get hurt before a major tournament, they're in big trouble. You you can't replace guys like that, whereas Canada can. Look look who Canada replaced for this tournament. They had a whole bunch of guys go out, and it was like, okay, we'll get him, we'll get him, we'll get him, and they've not missed a beat. But if everybody is healthy, the Americans are going to give them fits for the next eight or ten years, I believe. Well, I, I, there, there's no evidence not to support that, but uh, I always like our chances. I mean, you know, just because the Americans got ten times the population than us and we kick their ass in hockey all the time. I mean, I don't mean all the time. I mean all the time. One last thing. We got to go break. One last thing. Should we ever feel guilty about the fact that we always host these things? It always seems to me to be such a massive advantage. We host the World Juniors every second year. We host this thing. It's got to be a huge advantage to us to be hosting this all the time, to have it on home ice. It's a huge advantage if you have a chance to win. And I think it gives us an opportunity, even if we have slightly less than the best team. Maybe there's a couple teams that smidge better than us. If they play it in Toronto, we're going to win it. If we play it in Edmonton, we're going to win it because the Maple Leaf on the front of the shirt means that much more. But on an overall thing, it's all about the money. And we're the only ones crazy enough to pay that kind of bucks to watch it. Look at how the Americans in the... I know it's preseason, pre-tournament, but look how the Americans played in their one game in Columbus. They were a completely different team when they were playing on home ice in front of the home crowd than they were when they played in Canada. And again, I'm I'm not saying Canada wouldn't have beaten them anyway, but I sometimes feel guilty that we win all these tournaments and it's always on our home soil. 
It doesn't mean we wouldn't have won them elsewhere. But if I'm a Russian player, am I not saying at some point, holy jumping, can we please, please have a tournament somewhere besides Canada? They just had the Olympics there. Yeah, I know. And they didn't do too well. Who didn't? The Russians. No, so so that throws that argument about. And you know what? You might feel bad about it. I don't care as long as we win. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Studio with Don Robertson for a few more minutes this hour. And Don, uh, news out yesterday or today, I can't remember which day it was. It may have been today. Uh, by the way, if you're calling with the answer to this question, uh, the lines are uh, ringing, so Luke will get to you as quickly as he can. Let them ring. He'll get there. Uh, yesterday or today, it was announced that Paul Pierce, basketball player who was with Boston, then he was with New Jersey, then he was with Washington. He's been with everybody. Uh, he's announced that this is this year coming up is going to be his last year. In other words, this is my last year. I'm a veteran. Give me the re- retirement tour. I want to come up at every arena and be the center of attention and get gifts from everybody and be honored. And, you know, they won't ever say that, that that's what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. Whenever they announce ahead of time, this is my last year, that's what they're hoping is going to happen. I've completely grown weary of these things. I couldn't care less. My thought is that if you're a professional athlete, when your time comes, you retire. Or at the very, very worst, very least, you do what Wayne Gretzky did and you announce it before your last game in Canada and your last game at home. But you don't turn it into an entire circus that goes on for a whole year. What do you, what do you think? I mean, is this, is this a good thing that fans get to know when these guys are going so they can say goodbye, or is this entirely just an effort to suck up to the fans and be the center of attention, as I believe it is? Well, I think Wayne Gretzky can do whatever he wants. I think Michael Jordan. I mean, there's a few of them you can afford that to, and like the big guy in Boston doing the farewell. Ortiz. Ortiz. Uh, can kind of do that because people want to do nice things for the absolute best and superstars. And if you're not in that category, just kind of forget about it. Because but David Ortiz, I'm sorry, David Ortiz is not in that category. Well, he is this year. But he's getting the treatment and he's well, playing yeah. well this year. But I do not count David Ortiz among the all-time greats of the game. Most athletes um, that, that do that, and I'll exclude Gresky because he's in a league of his own, think far more of themselves than a lot of other people and think that their, their, their shot at fame is now fading so quickly that it's the only way they can get the accolades that they truly believe that they deserve. If, let the fans decide that. Yes. And you know what? You should watch guys at the end of their career like it may be their last game that you're ever going to see. I just hate. And I just hate the idea that so, there's enough guys out there apparently who believe, you know, the fans really want to say goodbye to me properly. That to me is the exact opposite of the attitude I want from an athlete. I, again, I go back to Wayne Gretzky. I think Wayne Gretzky did it the right way. He he knew it would have been for Wayne Gretzky. It would have been wrong, wrong, not just modest or whatever. It would have been wrong to play his last game in Canada without telling anyone. He understood what his place in this country was, even if it was, even if he's a pretty modest guy. So he didn't announce, Hey, this is my last year. So every single person coming to every game, tickets went through the roof and it was all a big maudlin show. That last game that he played in Ottawa was, but that was it. And then the last game he played in New York was, and that was it. And he was gone and it accomplished all the same stuff 
without nearly the same hype and hyperbole. From arguably the best hockey player that's ever played the game. Yeah. Now, um, you didn't have to be an absolute genius to think he might retire. It was 1999. That's fine. And so with all these players, it's the same thing. You get up to your late 30s. If you're, an, if you're a, a fan who really loves Paul Pierce, and he's got to be 37, 38, 39 now, Surely I'm bright enough to say, hey, he's playing this year, but I don't know if he will again. If I want to see Paul Pierce, I better buy a ticket. Well, that was my point earlier. Yeah. When, when, when a guy gets towards the end and you want to show your son and say, I'm a big fan of this guy, we better catch him before he's gone. We don't need him telling us he's going to be gone. Exactly. Don't, don't, don't come to me and basically, I know you're not directly saying, hey, pay attention to me. But that's exactly what you're doing well, when you announce are. this. That's all they're doing. They're not. See, they're going to argue. Hey, listen, no, 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 no. I'm just. I was just putting it out there to tell you that I was retiring. I'm not actually seeking attention, which is translated. Please focus all your oh. attention on me. Bestow gifts upon me. Interview me. Put your cameras on me. Hang around my locker. Make me the focus of everything. That's what they're actually saying when they do this. And that, to me, is the is why it drives me so nuts. You know what? If if you're a player who wants to do to have this retirement circus tour thing, just once have the cojones to say, you know what? I don't really think I've been given sufficient attention over the course of my career. So I'm telling you now, so you have ample time to buy me gifts and prepare your TV crews to cover me. That I would actually respect because you're being honest. Boy, you're sure making it look awfully shoddy. The, all of them. All of them. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Derek Jeter. I, I don't love the fact that Derek Jeter tried to do this or did this. I know everybody loves Derek Jeter. I hate the fact that he did this. Go out with a modicum of grace and modesty. It, was there ever a time when Derek Jeter could look back and say, I didn't get the attention I deserved? He got all the attention he could have ever possibly wanted. Why do you need to announce it ahead of time? They sure did not Rodriguez do that, did they? Same, but but do you not think that, Rod, well, Rodriguez, though, you didn't know, to his credit, you didn't know. He announced a week before. Now, it was a different circumstance. It wasn't entirely by his choice. It wasn't entirely by his choice well, that he left. Him. They said, they, we're going to pay you to go away. Yeah, they cut him, but they gave him an extra week or whatever it was. But it wasn't like you but were. they didn't do that because they liked Alec Rodriguez. Not at they all. did that because they're dead in the water if they didn't do it. Uh, of course. No, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that they, they gave him a week and that was more than ample time for anybody who wanted to say anything to Alex Rodriguez. You did not need a 162 game season to fet Alex Rodriguez. That's a long tour. You didn't need this season to celebrate David Ortiz. It wouldn't, it wouldn't take much to convince me to write on this. I just, you know what, For I, would, I love athletes who actually recognize that by their very career, they have had oodles of attention, made oodles of money, had oodles of opportunity. You don't need to try and squeeze the public for a little bit more. Well, when they do that, you know that it's all about them. And if you're not sure what it's all about, Go back to the first answer. It's all about them. And you're absolutely right. They're trying to squeeze that last 15 minutes of fame when they've had hours and hours and hours of fame. And if they, and if the answer is, or if the, the point they make is, well, you asked me, someone, a media member said, Don, are you retiring at the end of this year? I was only being honest. 
You know what? There's honest and there's, I haven't decided yet. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. It's the guys who hold a press conference to announce that they are going to be playing their last season. That as far as I'm concerned, next time a player holds a press conference to announce that this is his last year, I would like Major League Baseball or any other league that's involved to say, I'm sorry, as commissioner, we're stepping in. You're retiring now. Can't do that, of course. But you know what? what? You've had enough. You've had, if, you, if you have enough Then why need, do the media cover it? It's a very good question. What it's, the it, media should do if the media... Ignore it. ...have the credibility that you have. Say, you know what? I'm not going. Somebody says to retire, nobody go. Now, if the guy's really popular, you're going to want to do it. So but if Derek, the guy's a bit of a dick, you're well, going to so say, Derek I'm Jeter, not doing this. So Derek Jeter, you kind of have to. Even yeah. though, uh, you know, David Ortiz, he's popular. He, you know, he seems to have a fan base that likes him. Bill Kelly. Uh, you know, <laughs> so be it. You got to, you, you have to kind of be there or else you're abdicating your duties with within the media. Again, I just go back to the fact, how needy are you as an athlete that you've got millions of dollars, fame coming out your yin-yang, you couldn't possibly have had more opportunities and more glory, and you have to announce to the world, I need one more year of really bringing in the fame and the glory. Really show me how much you love me now. That to me is sad and embarrassing for those athletes. That to me just tells me that you are going to have a really, really difficult retirement if you are that needy for attention and glory. When it's all done, the lights eventually go out. You're going to have a hard time. You know, one of the sad parts of that too is when guys do it at the end of their career, you're really begging for the attention at a time when you really don't want people to remember you playing like that. Look at Kobe. Yeah, there's another one. Right? Like, you know, he did the tour and wasn't on top of the game. Now, do you really, I mean, if you think about it at all, do you really want everybody focused on you when you're playing on one leg? That's a great or point. There's another you're one. You're playing he, at 60% of what you were. How much better would it have been for Kobe Bryant on the last day of the season to simply say, this is my last game? It was fun. This is my last game. I'm telling you before my last game, so you can all cover it. You can all be here. I'm not going to slip out the back door. That's not what we're talking about. I'm going to give you a chance, but this is my last day. Everybody come down. We don't need 82 or 84 or 80 games to celebrate some athlete who's already had decades of celebration. We just don't. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.